please do welcome on stage. Give them a give him a big hand, Rex Mendoza. Hello, good afternoon. For those people who are in my industry, hello, good morning. So it was said that I'm going to be part of KCON 2015. Because of that, I cut my speech in half, so you can take the next one next year, right? And to hold you in suspense for whatever that is. No, but seriously, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be here this afternoon to talk about being an entrepreneur, or as Brother Bo would say it, entrepreneur. There is a difference because the entrepreneur, and you will see our theme, right? Lifted high, takes the elements of entrepreneurship to a next level. When you say next level, there are things and details that you do a little bit more than usual. Many of you, I saw your hands, many of you are entrepreneurs, but I guess I saw more hands who are not there yet, but who want to be. And this is very important because I'd want to be able to make that difference, to make people take the plunge. Again, can I see a show of hands? How many of you are wanting to be entrepreneurs but plan to do that in the next few months or the next few years, but you're dreaming of becoming that? Raise your hands. Wow, see, ton of you. When I ask how many of you are entrepreneurs now, quite less than the show of hands I saw earlier. I'd want to go back to the people who said, yes, I'm planning to in the next few years or in the next few months. And the question is this, what have you done last week to make it happen? Oh. Sa reaction lang na yan, guilty na, hindi ba? Guilty as charged. I'm not going to say anything, but that reaction by itself tells you there lies the problem. The problem in making that commitment is called execution. Brother Bo speaks about it all the time. We get education, but we never push it to execution. And that's the reason why people still look forward to retiring from their companies, not being able to fuel the dream that was there before. And I guess, and I hope, my talk this afternoon will give you that little nudge or provide you the kind of momentum you need to at the very least consider it really seriously. Let's go down to the basics first. Let's go down to defining entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is a dynamic process of vision, change, and creation. So they never said it's a business. They never said it's a venture. It's a dynamic process. So the truth is, entrepreneurship is utilized in daily lives, in pushing ideas, and in changing the status quo. Entrepreneurship is the application of energy and passion. See, without energy and passion, you don't push this to reality. You use that in the application, creating that idea, those set of solutions that are unique, those things that you feel would change an industry. So it is energy and passion pushing it, pushing it to implementation. So it is the execution, guys. So without the execution, it's all education. I hear that from Brother Bo all the time. But it's much like sermon every Sunday Mass, right? 
A priest once told me, in three years, you've gone through all the Gospels, right? So a lot of people would often say, so why do I need to hear Mass for the rest of my life? It's because we always need to get reminded. And for the people who are entrepreneurs here, I'd want you to listen, not because these are new to you. Maybe many of them are not new, but they can be affirmations of what you're doing correctly today. And there might be things that can be, consider them a few refinements that you can make to make things better. So I go back to this definition. I highlighted a few words. It's a process. It needs energy and passion. And it has to be new. Now, a lot of people make a big mistake in defining new. They think it has to be a new product. They think it has to be a new system. They think it has to be new approaches. It can be anything new. In fact, you can take that idea, a status quo idea, and just change one thing. And it can be really new. What's it dependent on? The person out there who needs to believe you. The person out there who needs to believe you will say it is new, even if there is only a minute change in the formula you've made. Sometimes, a lot of people say, many things start out big, many things start out small. But you see, yung maliit daw nakakapuwing, hindi ba? Right? The small things taken into a level of detail and a level of passion and energy can create such a big difference. Do you agree? We'll come up with examples later on, but I'd probably ask for forgiveness a bit forward. Some of the questions, some of the examples, some of the challenges I'm going to share, of course, will come from my own experiences. I think many of you have heard me before. How many of you have heard me before? Wow. You came back. Huh? You are repeaters. Huh? You see, many people have heard me before know that I'm taking all of these talks in three particular angles. I am a corporate executive. So I also give talks on how to succeed in business as an executive or how to climb up that corporate ladder. Many companies ask me to talk to their young up-and-coming high potentials. So I do that. I've been CEO of a company and I have traveled the globe, touching base with people who want to be successful on the corporate world. I'm also an investor. I play the stock market. Many people know I also have talks about investing. But today, it's my experience on business, my entrepreneurship role that will take a bit of the limelight. However, again, the caveat that I'm saying is, even as an entrepreneur, many of the facets of being an investor and a corporate executive cuts through. There could be different applications, but they cut through. The basics are always the same. The execution can be refined. So, what do you now say about entrepreneurship when you say entrepreneurship is that? Again, a few elements that are taken to the next level. The first one is the choice, the choice of your venture, what you want to get into. You know, I, I tell a lot of people, when you choose the business that you're going to end up with, choose something that you really have interest in, but more than that, 
choose something that you believe in. See, if you're just interested, and for a lot of you, I know food is way up there, right? Food is easy, right? Because if no one buys, you eat what's there, right? No waste. Food is always at the top of the chain because we know a lot of other people who have been successful in it. We see it all the time. However, do you believe that? Do you believe in changing the landscape of the culinary world? See, remember, we go back to the basic definition, you need energy and passion. So if it's just interest, you wouldn't have the energy and passion. The important ingredients are not going to be there. It is said, a person with a belief is equal to 99 others who only have interest. Because a person whose belief changes things, changes the landscape. If you're just interested, you're there for short-term deals. You're not there to really make a change. And entrepreneurship requires that change. Those were the words we have mentioned many times. Energy, passion, change, new. So what is it that moves you? How can you make a business out of that, right? I mean, these are the things that fuel all the entrepreneurs you've seen in our lifetime. And it's not just the young, like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. It's not just the old, like Colonel Sanders and KFC Chicken. You know, some people here might say, I'm too old for that. Colonel Sanders started his business when he was a lot older than any of you, right? And guess how mind-blowing the business was? Chicken. And several decades later, another Filipino entrepreneur changed it. Mang Inasal. Still chicken. So what's new with that? You see, it doesn't have to be marvelously different. It just has to be different, but it has to resonate with your target market. Resonating with the target market changes and takes it to the next level. So, choose something that you believe in. So, let me give you an example here about my business idea. You know, it was mentioned, I founded Rampver. Rampver is uh, one of the oddest names in business you might encounter, right? Because I had a problem with the SEC and the Insurance Commission and all the government agencies I need to register with, right? I wanted RAMP. They did not allow me. I wanted several other names. So I just decided, you know, I'll take all the first letters of my children's names and my wife's name and put them all together in a corporate name. And then they allowed me without question. Now I said, I have a problem telling people that. So when you hear the phone and, and that person answers, Ramp for Financials, good morning, what's that? That was then. When we introduced ourselves to the market in 1993, my first retirement in film life. You know, I, I, I have this penchant for coming back and leaving again, right? As I've retired from corporate Three, three times. Okay, my first retirement was 93. I started Ramver. Today, Ramver is the biggest mutual fund distributor in this country. And the capitalization and the involvement in other industries have, has taken it to the next level. In fact, I was just at the SEC the other day. 
It's November. It's renewal for the licenses for next year. And I saw in the renewal area, see, I probably will be the only business owner who walked in there because a lot of people would probably ask their staff to do the renewals. I did it myself. I went there. I wanted to see what my company is doing. How do we stack up? And I realized in two of those segments, investment company advisor and mutual fund distributor, we are one of only nine and 11 companies. There are only 11 asset management firms in this country. And there are only nine distributors that are registered. One of them is Citisec Online. My good friend, Edward Lee, right? Who is uh, decades older than me, right? <laughs> so I, I'm so proud of that. You know, I'm so proud of that. I'm, a, I'm ahead, right? I'm ahead. So I looked at it and say, alayo na nang narating namin, di ba? See, for you to be able to get to that level where you're now in a short list, it requires, you know, a deep sense of passion and believing. See, I go back to that idea. First, need for financial advice. In 1993, I realized many of the advisors are not really trained advisors. In 1993, when they sell you a financial product, what do they do? They coerce you. Right? You know, it's your mother-in-law, your aunt, your uncle, selling you insurance, right? Or maybe your best friend. If you don't buy, you're dead. Right? If you don't buy, you're dead. Because they're there to sell you. Right? If you don't buy, they feel bad about it. Or maybe you feel bad not buying. But you see, you feel worse after you bought. <laughs> you feel worse after you bought because there is something that committed you to a 20-year payment program. And uh, when, when your financial advisor walked out the door, you never see them again. So I said, financial advice at that level will have to be taken to the next notch. There has to be quality. And in 1993, I felt the quality is not enough. That's a differentiating point. I said, we can do that. Next, variable and fixed compensation. Many people who are in this business are paid commissions. That's why when they don't sell anything, they get hungry. So if people are getting hungry, what do they do? They force the issue, right? They force the issue. They have to make a sale. So even if you need it or not, you need it. Even if you contradict that statement, you need it. So in Ramber, we started way back 1993. A program where financial advisors get both fixed income and variable compensation. See, banks will give fixed income, but no variable. Now, there's another problem with that. They're not going to hustle as much as a variable paid person is. See, the banker is paid fixed. So if he hits his quota, he's going to cruise. But if a person is paid fixed, you'll get quality. But if he gets variable, you get the hustle. So you get both 
when you're in the middle paying both fixed and variable. That was unseen in 1993. Most importantly, you get into that next thing there, and that became a major differentiating point, open architecture. During the 90s, when you buy from a financial institution, what do they sell? Their own products, right? How can they tell you that the products are bad? That's the only thing they sell. Right? So when they ask you, is this product good? Of course it's good. It's the only thing I have. Right? If you don't buy that, I don't get anything. Right? As early as the 90s, Rampver was an open architecture. That means... We are not subservient to any principle and we cut across the industry and we can sell products across the place. So when we sit down with you, we can tell you what's right and what's wrong about every product because you still make a decision. In the end, you will deal with me because I carry everything. Your best interest is on the table because we can connect you with the best because we are connected to the best. Open architecture. And the last one, would be a comprehensive financial services platform. We cut from insurance, life, non-life, pre-need. We have mutual funds. We have everything that a person can need in terms of financial services. When we don't have it in our product arsenal, we link up with others who have it. So in the end, we do not necessarily sell we nurture over time. And every phase of a person's financial situation would rather be involved. So there is no push, more of a pull. And that's a no-no in financial services at that time because it's always a push that you see. That is my next slide. If I can have my clicker back. Yes. Break away from the crowd. Break away from the crowd. See, in this country, whenever a venture becomes successful, everything's into it. Have you remember, do you remember the um, Pandesal phenomenon? Huh? Do you remember the Lechon Manok phenomenon? Huh? When someone gets successful, everybody copies it. When you're part of the crowd, guess what happens? You get sunk in it. There's no difference there. And that's why you have to drive yourself away from the crowd. You know, just last week, we had a mastermind lunch, and I was sharing with my mastermind brothers how Rampver is going to be taking it on to the next game. Because today, as a financial services conglomerate, we're now studying two things. And it's going to be queer to many of you. Being in financial services, we're studying both paintings and loose diamonds as an asset class. Financial services, right? Mutual funds, stocks, bonds. What does diamonds and paintings got to do with that. They're very important asset classes today. You know why? Because they are not tracked in terms of tax purposes. And the rich are looking at it to be a custodian of value. It is hard for you to be a financial services advisor, and when the rich person talks to you, he asks you about other classes, you don't know it. How can you say you are a comprehensive advisor when you don't know the other options? I'm not going to tell you that I advise people not to pay taxes. We don't do that, right? But what we're saying is, the rich have a problem today. Do you agree? Their world is getting smaller and smaller in terms of the way they can hide things. 
right? Everybody in every application form is being asked for a tax identification number. And they are scared, right? They are scared. Not because they're not paying taxes, but because someone can just unearth something out of the past. So people are now looking at other things. And I'll tell you, I attended a Leon Gallery auction about a month ago, and paintings that normally fetched a million went up to about 12 million. And a painting by Roland Ventura went as high as 22 million. I attended that auction not to exactly bid and to participate. I was there to learn what people are doing. In fact, I took my daughter with me and we were together in that auction and I said, PV, we're in the business of money. And since we're in the business of money, we have to understand how moneyed people behave, decide, and act. So we have to be there. It was a mistake actually because my daughter was there with me and I left that place feeling so poor. Feeling so poor because people can just put up their paddle and say 1 million, 1.2, 1.4, 1.8 until it reaches 22 million. Custodian of value, I met another person, a guy from Israel who showed me a little saucer full of loose stones, rated diamonds with certificates. Cost about 2.5 million US in a saucer. And he says, if you put that in your pocket and you go anywhere, no one can detect that, right? So it's getting wealth freely across markets if you know what you're doing. I'm saying that as a financial advisor, I need to know that. I need to know what I stack up with. How about you? How about in your business? How do you expand your knowledge of the periphery so that no one can substitute the products you're involved in. No one can make you irrelevant. See, that's the problem when we become irrelevant, right? Can you just push the space bar, please? Persevere and learn. There are so many facets of your business that you think would be very important that you think you know. Even if that is your interest, your passion, and your belief, you still don't know many, many facets of it. You know, the reason why I went to the SEC is because I also want to know how those guys decide. How those guys process the documents? Because I can make a difference. I can actually go through a conversation where they appreciate what we do. In the entrepreneurial realm, persevering and learning is understanding the three Bs. I've said this in Baguio, but I actually discussed it for a big company. However, for an entrepreneurial venture, three Bs are still three Bs. It brings elements down into basics that are very, very important. Brand, business model, bench. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not into a political thing here. You might think B stands for something else, right? That's business model, brand, bench. Okay? Let's not add on to that. See, Brand is very important to take note of. You see, big companies have a lot of money to spend in building brands. You're an entrepreneur, you don't have big money. You have to act right. You have to understand the facets of brand. Brand identity is what we in our company think our brand represents. What we stand for. That is brand identity. Brand image is how customers perceive us. Brand identity is what makes us relevant. And the last one there is brand position. Brand position is 
how we fare with our competitors. What is it that we can claim? What can we own? The intersection of all three is your brand promise. Your brand promise is what you actually use in engaging the market. So, if there is no congruence with the way you think about your brand, the way your customers think about your brand, and the way you're stacking up with competitors, that intersection is going to be so small, you will be losing out on relevance. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd want you in your own small business still to look into this because you know why? That is the heart and soul of what you take to the next level in managing it. You see, we have three levels there, right? Your company, your talent, which is your people, and your customers. Between the company and the customers, that's what you call external marketing. We see that all the time. When you see advertising, when you see PR, that is the company communicating with customers. That is external marketing. You're making promises. When you're talking to your own employees, that is talent management. You are trying to enable promises. It's called internal marketing because your people will have to believe what you do. If your people don't believe what you do, guess what? They're just doing it for the job. They will not make a difference. If your people believe in what you do as much as you do, what happens? They are committed to making things work because there's going to be a more important part of marketing that you're going to see, and that is interactive marketing. That is keeping the promises between your people and your customers. Can you just imagine when you advertise and you say, we are focused on exceptional service, and then when they go to your office, your people don't even smile. Your people hate more work. See, for them, when they see people coming into the door, more work, right? Oh, these are customers. They're going to make our work harder. See, this is very important because you match up talent management, customer value that will bring forth exceptional service. If you don't have a balance in all of these, your business will never flourish. When people ask me, Rex, which of the three will be most important to you? Which of the three? It's always talent engagement. It is always talent engagement. You know why? Because even if you don't speak to the customers, the customers will talk about you. If you're dealing with your employees right, they will deal with their customers right. And without any expense in advertising, you can be the most popular shop in town because people are going to seek you out. See, people put a lot of money in advertising, put a lot of money in communicating externally, but they don't spend for their people. If you don't spend for your people, you don't train them, you don't pay them well, guess what happens? You never run that exceptional service shop, right? They complain. Guess who do they complain to? The first thing employees complain to is a co-employee who very often cannot do anything about it. The next most devastating complaint is when they share it with a customer, right? When a customer gets a pitfall in service and says, Bit ganyan kayo? Bakit naman ganun? And then the employee says, Oo nga ma'am, ganyan nga kami. Hindi ko nga maintindihan dito kung bit ganyan eh. You see, if the employee knows how to answer, there are pitfalls in service. There is no unblemished service operation, right? But when the employee is taken care of, what does he take? He takes the side of the company. Still pushing customer service, but takes the side of the company. Ma'am, we apologize about it, but you know what? Our company will not take this sitting down. We'll make it right. There is a difference amongst employees who are well taken care of and who are not. 
Let's learn from examples. And I've used this example in Baguio as well, but it's a nice example, so I'll use it again. See, in Starbucks, you now see this in their stores. That's the mission of Starbucks. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. You don't ever see coffee, right? It's to nurture and inspire the human spirit. Coffee is five pesos. But when your spirit is nurtured and inspired, it's 150. <laughs> and you don't complain about it. You're happy. You do it again and again. You do it every day. Right? I tell some of my employees, they go up, they hold the Starbucks cup, and I tell them, wow, you know why I'm saying that? Because coffee in our office is free. And they still go out and buy it. Right? This sir, ambiance. Oh, ambiance? Dinala mo yung restaurant, kaplangan dala mo Kaplangan dala mo You know, I tell her, next time, pagkaubos mo nyan, kumuha ka na lang uli dun sa coffee maker. Dala mo pa rin yung ambiance. Pero libre na yung coffee. Well, why is Starbucks so good at this? Because it's a service delivery system that is very consistent. I will ask you a question. Have you ever seen a Starbucks ad? Have you ever seen a Starbucks ad? They don't need to, right? They don't need to. Where is their spend most in? The barista. The barista has profit share. That's why the barista knows your name. Right? Good morning, Sir Rex. Is it your usual coffee? A lot of people think the Starbucks flavors are all up on the board. No. You can come up with your own permutations, right? You can come up with ice white mocha, non-whip, non-fat, ristretto, half shot. When you do that, you can actually, and they computed for this, 79,000 coffee permutations. You see, when it's hot, it's not cold. When it's iced, it's not hot. When it's white, it's not dark. Non-whip means there is no whip, but there's an option with whip. Ristretto, half shot, all of those permutations. Why does the barista know your product? Because he's there to take care of you. He's trained to take care of you. And that's the reason why people come back again and again and again. But I like this other example. This is much better. You know this, right? You know this. One small teacup. One small pot pours on two cups of tea. 600 pesos. It's more expensive than Starbucks actually, right? But you believe it. It's TWG. Is it Twinings? No. You never asked. It's TWG. And you know it's the finest tea in the world. Why? It's in Greenbelt 5, right? It is where you see Prada. It is where you see more expensive clothes and bags and all of that. But it's tea. Can you just imagine how they can pay the rent in Greenbelt 5 when they're selling tea? It's the finest tea in the world. 1837, right? A history and heritage of difference. In your mind, it says, this company has sourced all the best teas for several centuries and they are now putting it in your table as part of the option. When you look at the menu, there are more than 200 teas to choose from. And they said they've scoured the world to make those a reality for all of you. See, when the service delivery system is so consistent, you never ask. You never question. You believe as the owners and the employees of TWG believe. TWG is the wellness group. It is not established in 1837. It was established in 2008. 
So this is just a six-year-old company. Is it English? Oh, looks like. In the font, in the color. It's a Singaporean company owned by two Indians. Scouring the world for the best tea? Chemists made the tea. Chemists made the tea. But you don't question it, right? Somebody question it. So what's 1837? 1837 was in honor of the establishment of the Chamber of Commerce of Singapore. What has that got to do with tea? Nothing! It's just there! You never questioned it! So what's unique? It's the touch. It's the brand position, identity, that an image that intersects solidly. And they don't do anything to break it up. When you go to Singapore and you go to a TWG shop, right? The person who greets you is white, not Chinese. Expat, white, puti. Diba? Nakataksido. Bawat tahinong taksidong yun. Sa timo ipapatong yun. Do people buy? Yes! You know, this Christmas, you're probably gonna be getting a gift, a tea bag from TWG. The smallest one is about 1,600. And it's probably one of the most coveted gifts for Christmas. But it's tea. Is it ambiance? It's now in a bag. Right? So, ladies and gentlemen, we have to note the brand. The brand pushes value. But... But there is a business model that's very important because this is where the financial value creation happens. I'd want you to go through all of these. Sorry for the... Uh, I usually do this for people sleepy at 1.30. So I have the sound to go with it. For a lot of entrepreneurs, this is what they miss. It's a relationship of sales, margins, operation expenses, and cash flow. When I'm asked what's most important of all that, it is cash flow. If you're an entrepreneur, cash flow. Corporates don't need so much of that because they have the base. They have a very strong capital base. But entrepreneurs can get wiped out with a wrong decision on cash flow. I have a friend of mine who thought he had a great product, a great real estate development. Sales went up. He went bankrupt. All the sales went up. All the figures. But he went bankrupt. Why? He never realized a company like Ayala Land has the financial muscle. So when it sells, it can sell on installment. It has the capital to deliver the product and the customer can pay over a period of five to 10 years, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you sell everything. What do they pay? They pay you over five or 10 years. But you have to develop the whole place. Where are you going to get the money? If they're going to give you the money in 10 years, who's going to finance the whole thing? And because he did not charge the right interest, he actually lost a lot of money. It's a profitability issue because of a misunderstanding in the financial game. A discussion of margins also very important. Let me drive this down for the entrepreneurs who are here because you get this, you get this idea from many of your people, right? Mom, if you want us to sell more, let's lower the price. You get that a lot, right? You get that a lot. I'd want you to talk to your people and share with them an understanding of margins. If our margin is 45% and we cut prices by 15, 45% gross margin, we cut prices by 15, how much do you think we have to increase sales to break even? You see, people who ask for lower prices never compute the break even, right? What they want is an easier job. And if prices are lower, it's an easier job to sell. But what people don't know Anyone who has the answer here? How much do you think sales will have to go up to break even? Sales has to go up 50%. So if I cut down prices by 15, 
Kaya mo ba akong bigyan ng 50% growth? Hindi. O wag na tayo mag-cut. Ganyan kasimple yan. You will have to tell people how the numbers react to each other. At a 45% gross profit margin, if you decrease prices by 10%, you just need to cut sales by 5%. So what does that mean? Magdagdag tayo pala ng 5% increase in price, then we can even lose 10% of our revenue. Sometimes the answer to a dilemma is the other or the opposite idea. If you lower your price, you have to increase volume. And can you commit to that high level? If you cannot, sometimes the answer is increase the price and sometimes even be able to fend off a sales drop of 10%. See, many people don't match up with all of those. That's why they get lost in the mix-up of all of these things. Moving forward, the last B, bench. Bench is all about people. And in an entrepreneurial venture, when we talk about entrepreneurship, you take bench to another level. And then for me, the two most important things are this. One, multitasking. Multitasking. You can never say, okay, you're a salesperson and that person's not going to do anything else but sell. That's for a big corporation. For an entrepreneurial venture, that person is a sales guy. He's also a marketing guy. He's going to build brochures. He's going to be your customer service representative. He's going to be everything you need to push things to the next notch. And they will have to understand that. That's why when I hire people today for my company, anyone interested in the job description, anyone interested and asks me for the job description, I never hire. I don't. Because I don't want you to have a wrong notion that when you work for our company, that it's going to be fair to put you in a certain box. It's a two-way thing. I will expect you to be involved in many things, but I will also expect you to grow and become more proficient and more competent because you can dabble into many other experiences other than the training school provided you. Multitasking is very important. It becomes fulfilling for very young people who want a fast track to learning. That's number one. Number two is even more important. is paying people like partners. Paying people like partners. And I've shared this also in Baguio. In our company, I have done things I cannot do in Film Life. Why? Because Film Life is a big company. It's owned by a regional conglomerate in Hong Kong. I will have to ask permission. Obviously, they will not allow me. Because I did something queer for the admin people of our shop. How queer is it? It's like this. When sales hit a certain target, the admin people get a bonus. You don't see that in big corporations. And that's the reason why admin and sales always fight. Right? When salespeople sell more, guess who have a bigger job? Admin. Do they get commissions? No. Salespeople get commissions. But the heavier load goes to admin, right? So they hate the salespeople. <laughs> but in Rampver, and I'll tell you, some of our salespeople are here. Last week of the month, it is the admin people go to the, going to the sales area asking them to sell more because they haven't hit target. Because the admin people get a bonus when sales are up. When people are compensated and they are part of the game, they will give their all. I don't know if you've dealt with many of the mutual fund companies, but I'll tell you, one of our most frustrating 
experiences is when we have a bunch of application forms, we get there, and it's 12.03. And they said, okay, that's uh, beyond cut off. Tomorrow na po natin mabubukyan. Three minutes late. Tomorrow na. Why? Because they're telling you, okay, we're done now with what came in before 12. And that's what we're going to work with. That's for tomorrow's load, right? They're not welcoming the new sales. Should they as a company? Of course. But it's not translated to the frontliner. The frontliner thinks very differently, right? So in Ramper, it's very different. 12.30 na, sige, pasok mo pa yan. Gagawa namin ng paraan. You know, where we're going to huh, do whatever we can to be able to swing it in. Because a sale is a sale. I'm not going to say we're going to shortcut compliance. No, we're going to go out of our way to make sure the customer is treated very well. Bench is very important. Diversify, collaborate, and seed others. You can never do this alone, right? And that's the reason why even Ramper partners with our principals. We collaborate with them. They're better than us in many ways. We'd want to learn or we just want to make them do what we can't. We share fees. Yes, we have to share fees because they're better in that area. Think about what your core is and give to others what they can earn from so that you do more of what you're good at. It's very important to push the things you don't want to do to other people who can earn from it so that you can concentrate on what you do best and seed others. When we were growing up as a company, we never had the help of other people. We just increased our own capital on our own. Today, there are a lot of people out there who are good entrepreneurs. What they don't have is capital. So Ramper has seeded many people. And as I told my mastermind brothers, I don't invest in businesses. I invest in people. When I see a person and I know there's a great idea and there's passion behind it, I put in capital. I think you all know Blue Leaf. Blue Leaf is the events place that you see in McKinley Hill. It's now here in Asiana. Blue Leaf too, right? Ramper owns 20% of that company. It's a stubborn guy wanting to put up an events place that competes with the hotels. He put it up without enough money. And he went to me and said, I need a partner to finish this. You know, Blue Leaf 2 was put up without any cash out. It comes from the cash flow of Blue Leaf 1. The payback is three years. I am into other businesses that you find queer because I'm into financial services and I'm telling people, be responsible. Put yourself on the right track. But I also distribute BCBG Max Asaria, Hervé Leger, high-end clothing lines. Yes, we sell bathing suits. They go for about 38000 apiece. You can just imagine the amount of cloth that goes into that and how much the margins are, right? We see the others. And the others become more successful with us. But you see, I set the right discipline. I am the corporate guy who brings the entrepreneurs down in terms of reality. Entrepreneurs are high flyers. Sometimes I am the corporate guy who brings them down to earth, who looks at the financials right, who puts in the discipline. If you're an entrepreneur and you cannot sell the financial discipline right, you are going to be in trouble. If you cannot also set the personal self-discipline, right, you're also going to be in trouble. I tell a lot of people, what time do you go to work? Is your boss already there? I cannot dictate to people what I can't do myself. So if the boss is going to be the earliest in that office, 
That means that's a well-run office, right? Because she can greet everyone who comes in, especially those who are late. Right? Pero kung siya ang late, hindi niya na nakita yung iba. So set the right discipline. Why is it so important? Because in an entrepreneurial venture, it's easy to be undisciplined. You own it, right? That's why I tell my kids, deal with the corporate life first. We have to set the discipline, right? Then I'm going to seed your businesses. Because if you are in your own business and you haven't had the discipline right, you are at risk. Harness the power of your team. Your team is going to be there for you and they will have to believe every single thing you do. Share the rewards. Within the next three years, Ramper is going to go into a share program that makes employees own 20% of the company. 20%. You know, problema natin dito, inclusive growth, hindi ba? In the Philippines, it's inclusive growth. The economy is flying. Not a lot of people are getting rich. Why? Because they're employees. They're not owners. If you make your employees own a part of the company, their lives are at stake. Their future is at stake with you. So they will commit. You see, a lot of people ask themselves, why are my employees not committing to me? Hey, you pay the minimum wage. Paano sila naging committed? Right? If you tell them to take care of their future, they will commit to you. Share the rewards with other people, not just your employees, other people. You want more and more people to root for you, root for your success. I've always said this, as an entrepreneur, you're optimistic. But if you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you're not just optimistic, you're an inverse paranoid. You know what an inverse paranoid is? You know what an inverse paranoid is? It's someone like me who thinks the whole world is conspiring to make me a success. I think the whole world is conspiring to make me a success. If you're not just optimistic, if you think each and every facet of the business, market, partners are helping you succeed, you'll take more risk. You'll position yourself better. And the last part is taking it to what really matters. Never forget what matters? What do you do this for? You see, many people fall in love with the material benefits of businesses. They forget why they did it in the first place. What's the driver of that business? What fuels you inside? You see, loving what you do doesn't have a bottom line in terms of pesos and cents. Loving what you do takes business to the next level so that you will succeed and earn much more. But earning much more doesn't mean anything. At a certain point, how many steaks can you eat? At some point, how many cars can you drive? You will miss out on this if you don't go back to what really matters. And that's the reason why many people who are successful in business continue to be a success because they never forget what took them there in the first place. And these are the people you love. And that's also the reason why it never stops. Because there is a sense of unpositioned contentment. You're content in one sense because you're successful, but you're also discontent in another because you haven't done things better. There is always a better level out there. And that's the reason why I challenge everyone. 
You see, a real entrepreneur is never content. There is always something there to change. There is always something there to challenge. But we don't do it to get rich. We do it to make a difference and we do it to serve. You know what? If you boil it down to what matters, money runs after you. You don't run after it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure being with you this afternoon. I hope I'm going to see you again in KCON 2015. Thank you.